electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a tale of two economies. More young voters are giving up on Bidenomics. Can anything reverse the trend? Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips is here. A new hazard light for Tesla, one of the world's biggest rental car companies, dumping out the car maker. China intrigued the founder of a car company there, fueling new worries about more lockdowns due to this mystery illness. It's a crazy story, and you'll hear it coming up. Call it the great re-bundling? Streaming rivals suddenly rushing to join forces. Is that good news for your money? Plus, hot off the presses, we have got the top search investing terms of the year. They will not disappoint, especially the first one, which we really like. And just how much is Beyonce's seal of approval really worth? Well, one entrepreneur found out she is here for a can't-miss Make It Mondays. All that and much more across the hour. So as always, belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Well, good evening here. Good afternoon at West, everybody. Hope you're having a great Monday wherever you are. I am Brian Sullivan. We'll get to all that. But first up, the big rise of Bitcoin and gold. Bitcoin surging again today. It now stands at 41,812. It was above 42,000 earlier today. And Bitcoin is now up 157% this year. Now, gold, it also popped before falling back today earlier Gold went above $2,100, a little below that now, but still up 13% over the year, which, by the way, for gold, is actually a pretty big move. So what exactly is going on here? Why all the buying? Well, we don't know. So when we don't know, we did what we like to do and ask many of you what you think. So in a Twitter slash X poll, we asked this. Outside of the snarky, more buyers than sellers, because I always got to put that in, Bitcoin is soaring lately because of A, geopolitical risk, B, hope of a Bitcoin ETF, a momentum trade, in other words, it's going up because it's going up, or D, America's debt problem. I probably should have made that D, about a worries, about a, you know, currency devaluation, whatever. Okay, now right now, and the poll's still live for a few minutes, 41% of you said it's a momentum trade. Effectively, people are buying because it's going up, but 35% saying that Bitcoin has been surging on the hopes that we will finally, after years, get a Bitcoin ETF, which is important because that could bring in many new buyers to an asset class that, let's be honest, can often be a little confusing or scary to some people. Some of you, 14% said debt, and 10% of you said growing geopolitical risk. Honestly, I thought that first one might be a little bit higher, but it's not. So what maybe is the actual answer? Let's take it to our guest, somebody who knows with us tonight, is Grayscale, CEO Michael Sonnenschein. Michael, good to see you again. Good to see you. How would you have, I know how you would have answered that poll. <laughs> Hope of a Bitcoin ETF. Well, if we zoom out and we look at 2023, Bitcoin is up 150% this year. Not bad. It has had a positive <laughs> correlation with gold, as you've mentioned. And if we look at 2023, it was a year that was characterized by 
rising inflationary fears and investors looking for places to go to hedge against those types of pressures in their portfolio. That's Bitcoin, that's gold, that's now bonds. And now as we get to 2024 and the Fed may in fact be signaling that they're going to start to cut rates Mm -hmm. because Bitcoin means different things to different types of investors, you may see some of that positioning towards a risk on trade because Bitcoin is considered a risk asset. And you may see investors allocating to it, thinking about it more as a technology investment than perhaps a store of value. And I originally, I had a, a Another poll up about two seconds before I realized that I, I needed to do a better poll. And I had inflation on there. Mm-hmm. And I did the second poll, the one that you saw up there, without inflation because I thought, you know what? We've been talking about inflation for two years. The rate of inflation is coming down. And so I just can't imagine a lot of people are suddenly discovering this as an inflation hedge, which is why I pulled it off. What do you think about that? No, I think that makes complete sense. I think in times like where we find ourselves in now where there's geopolitical tensions and unrest, we have historically seen investors flock to assets like Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. so it's no surprise to see that outperformance again in this year as well. But also one of your other parts of your poll was the hopes of a Bitcoin ETF coming mm. to market. Do you know anybody that would like to have a Bitcoin <laughs> ETF? Well, as you know. <laughs> the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. There was an article in CNBC Pro today that people that were cited said they were very optimistic that a Bitcoin ETF would be approved in early 2024. Whatever you know, I know you can't say it or confirm anything. I get that. It's all very legalese. But are you optimistic we will get one? I am optimistic that we will get one. As you know, we want But you've been optimistic for a few years. Well, because we've been working on it for years, and that's our number one priority, right? We won our court case against the SEC this summer. We've continued to have really positive, really constructive engagement with the SEC, and it remains a matter of when, not a matter of if. And we have a You're lot- that confident, the, the win, not the if. I am that confident. We have investors in all 50 states. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is the largest Bitcoin investment vehicle in the world. It's been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Investors have been very patiently waiting for this data. And it's, it's probably, and I hope this, you would agree with this, if not, tell me, that this is probably the closest thing we have to a Bitcoin ETF, correct? And yet you still trade at a discount to Bitcoin. Now, the discount has narrowed, hopefully, as we get the optimism. But why does it trade at a, at a discount to Bitcoin? Well, so because GBTC today is not an ETF, it doesn't have that embedded creation redemption mechanism that would allow the shares to be kept in line with its net asset value. And so the fund has traded at premiums and now trades at discounts. Just like a closed-in bond fund might. Exactly. But what you have seen over the course of 2023 with this growing optimism about GBTC's uplisting and investors wanting to participate in Bitcoin in a way that's regulated, familiar, and accessible, they've been able to allocate to GBTC the products right there in the market for them to put alongside their other investments. And you have seen that discount narrow as we've gotten closer and closer to the end of the year. Can you, in plain English, listen, I know the SEC has has not been like the fastest mover in history on a lot of things. And To be fair, there's a lot of things you don't want them to be fast on because they're the SEC and they want to get it right. I know there's been some this fighting between the CFTC and the SEC over who really regulates Bitcoin as well. And I also know that a lot of the federal workforce has never come back to the office. There's a lot of remote work. I bring all this up because I would like your take on why it has taken so long. I can only point to the SEC denials and commentary. And that really has focused in on their lack of comfort with the underlying Bitcoin market. 
for many of us in the crypto industry and the asset management industry, we really looked at the approval of Bitcoin futures um, and Bitcoin futures ETFs yeah. as really a signal of the SEC becoming comfortable with that underlying market since the futures are a derivative of that underlying spot market. But now it's really a market that's matured. It's a mm -hmm. very different looking spot Bitcoin market than it was when we first applied to yeah. the Bitcoin ETF. Um, and that's, again, why we have the optimism that we do, that this is a matter of when, not a matter of I You know, I, and we'll let you go, but I, I think I told you this last time you were on, in, in September of 2019, I did a fireside chat with Hester Peirce yep. down in Blacksburg, Virginia. This was four years ago, and she thought she was optimistic then, and she's one of the ones in the SEC that really is trying to push for it. Four years, we'll see what happens. Good luck to you, by the way. Thank you very much. Fantastic. All right. Meantime, here's what happened to your non-crypto money today. The major indexes took a breather from the recent win streaks. Now, all the big three did close down just a bit. The Dow was down 41 points, whatever. But something to watch. Small and mid-cap stocks came alive. Again, the S&P small cap 600 popping 1.3%. These stocks have not been participating in the market run this year. So this is interesting. See if mid and small caps can kind of get the wheels turning. Now, inside the market, the biggest winner in the S&P 500, Bath and Body Works, up to big triple eight, 8.88%. They'd be very lucky in China, by the way. Biggest decliner, Alaska Air, worst day in three years. Alaska is agreeing to buy Hawaiian Airlines for $1.9 in cash. If you want to be really cold or really hot, they can take you to either place. All right, up next, a scary story out of China. As the founder of a car company posts something about potential new virus testing, then quickly deleted it. Yunus Yun is here with what's going on. Plus, why one of the world's biggest rental car companies is saying, Vitazen, Tesla. Stick around. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. GM CEO Mary Barra speaking out on the future of the company's self-driving unit. Speaking at the Automotive Press Association in Detroit, Barra says GM is focused on riding the ship at Cruise. Barra also says Cruise will undergo a safety review that will be completed next year. Cruise had paused all of its trips and its robo-taxis last month after several safety concerns, including a crash back in October that left the pedestrian in critical condition. Meantime, a social media post by a top car executive in China is raising some questions over the return of COVID-19 safety protocols. Yunus Yun, on set, based in Beijing, 
Really happy to have you here in the States. It's great to see you. It's Don't go back. Just stay here. We like having you here. You did amazing <laughs> stuff through impossible conditions in COVID. And nobody wants to see the return so of the what COVID is controls. This is not some tinfoil hat story. What's happening? No. So uh, there are concerns now of, the, of a return of COVID testing at airports. And that's uh, really uh, concerning travelers, most notably the founder of EV startup Xpeng. So late last week, He Xiaopeng posted on his social media account that upon his return to China from overseas via Shanghai, he was forced to take a COVID test with two cotton swabs. He was told the tests were spot checks and asserts that everyone on his plane was forced to test. Now, he argued that he had just told his foreign entrepreneur friends the night before that China no longer has COVID curbs like health codes upon entry into China. He criticized the tests as counterproductive and said that they were a bad look for China. China. Now, the Weibo post has since been deleted, but not before sparking panic and discussion. The spot check um, COVID tests have been reported at airports in other cities as well, including Beijing, Tianjin, and the southwestern city of Chongqing. So far, there hasn't been any official response. And separately, though, health authorities have been contending that the surge in respiratory illnesses is still only recognizable pathogens. The cities around Beijing, though, have raised their flu alerts to epidemic level, not pandemic level. Thank you. Thankfully. Yes, until January. Thankfully. But this post, which again got deleted and it's just one person. Mm -hmm. But I want to be clear, it's not some just random person. This guy's a, a leading business person. So he's not he's unlikely to just be some crazy lunatic who just posts stuff. Right. So people right. are taking people are taking this seriously. Yes. Like his post. They're like, that That, that guy's right. a lot not going to make this up. Exactly. A lot of people in China follow these top business executives. I mean, he has Xpeng, which he founded and then also listed in the U.S. So he's really seen as a, a notable person. And of course, people are wondering now exactly what happened with this post. Did he himself delete it, thinking, oh, this is not going to be good for me to be criticizing COVID curbs? Or was it deleted for him because of the panic mm. that was being created? Do we, and we don't know where he was coming from, correct? We don't. Oh, we don't. He was coming from It was an overseas, overseas flight, but we don't. It could be America, it could other, be Vietnam, could be right. Russia. Could and be the where. other spot checks have also been from overseas for the most part. You know, you went through impossible conditions. Your reports, especially at the beginning, were just so amazing because we all saw what you guys went through. There's some horror stories. But I got to tell, tell the story, the funny story. What? I have to say that. You know what I have to say. Okay? Because one time we're on the air, and uh, if you know me, I like to make people laugh or try. Right. I fail mightily sometimes. Yes. And we were on live TV one morning. You were overseas. And uh, I made some crack to try to lighten you up. Yeah. And, and you laughed. And then, uh, and you said the most epic line in CNBC history. Every time I see your face, I laugh. It's true. And now all my colleagues. You make, you, you it's. No, but. <laughs> you want to make people laugh. But I don't want my. face does I don't want my you. face to make you laugh. It does. It's fair enough. I'll take it. You went through a lot. <laughs> Every time I see your face, I laugh. Eunice Yoon, we love seeing your face. Great to see you in the, the office here. It's great to be Don't here. be a stranger. Stay. Wondering if I right. have to get some COVID tests here. Don't say Before it. I Don't board. say it. All right, still ahead. More and more younger voters saying no thanks to Bidenomics. Will they get a primary alternative? Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips, congressman from Minnesota, will join us. Plus, why one of the world's biggest rental car companies dumping its fleet of Teslas, but some good news for Ford on its EV journey. That's all ahead.
Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Let's talk about one of our favorite topics, that, of course, cars. Ford posting a slight drop in American new vehicle sales for November, but they did get some good news around one very important truck. That is the electric F-150. Also happening right now, GMCO Mary Barra making some, I think, surprising comments around its pledge to go all electric by 2035. Phil Lebeau joining us now. Phil, I don't know where you want to start with this. Um, great, great color tie, by the way. Is that uh, these comments from Barra... <laughs> Uh, to me, uh, are surprising. Uh, They're not surprising to me, Brian. If you listen to what they had to say uh, during their last earnings call or when they talked about their new guidance uh, coming out of the UAW contract within the last week, what they basically have said is, we are planning to be all electric by 2035, but, and this is a very important but, we will go as the market goes. So if demand is not there, then we will not be all electric by 2035. So they've said this for some time. Mary Barr report, uh, reiterating it within the last hour at a press uh, gathering in Detroit is not a huge surprise. This is essentially what you would expect them to say. And I think what you're going to hear from a number of executives, which is if the EV market develops as they originally thought, boom, they'll be there. They'll be all electric by 2035. If it's going to be slower, well, then they're going to obviously have to roll out more ICE vehicles or hybrid vehicles, which is, and and I'll do the transition myself, Brian, the perfect way to talk about the numbers from Ford today for the month of November. You were right. Overall sales down less than 1%. But look at the drop in ICE models. Gas-powered internal combustion engine models down 6.5%. And hybrid models. I know they don't sell as many hybrids as they do internal combustion engines, but look at that. Year over year, a 75% jump in sales. Not only that, EV sales as they ramp up production of the Lightning and the Mustang Mach-E, EV sales up 43% year over year. But it's the hybrid news that is important. Why? Remember a couple of months ago when Jim Farley said, and I think it was two quarters ago, I have to look at the exact day, he said, you know what? The demand is in hybrids. We need to pivot to make more hybrids. Not give up on electrics, but make more and sell more hybrids. They are currently fourth behind Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, Kia. But look, GM's not really in hybrids, nor is Stellantis. Ford has a real opportunity here to take advantage of this shift that's in the market. And as you take a look at Ford versus Toyota and Honda, yes, you can see Toyota and Honda because they haven't had the huge EV investments Uh, Those stocks have fared better in this last year. But, Brian, I can tell you this much. Mm. I've talked to a number of Ford dealers, and you know what I hear from them? Hybrids are hot. People come in, and they want to talk about hybrids. And this is not just Ford dealers. I've heard this from other dealers as well. And Ford is positioned to do well in that market. And so that's why you see these numbers today. And you have to give give credit to Jim Farley. When he made that comment, a lot of people focused on, well, you're throwing in the towel on EVs. They weren't throwing in the towel on EVs. What they were saying is that market's going to take longer to develop. We're going to defer some investments there. We're still developing it, 
But in the meantime, yeah. if people want hybrids, let's give them hybrids. Yeah, who could have seen that coming? Anyway, I, listen, in hybrids, Toyota, Toyota will tell you they're better for the environment than all electric because you can build 90 yeah. hybrids with the minerals from one pure battery electric, and you don't need all the additional energy infrastructure to build out. People can debate that all day long. It's Toyota's view. Quickly, Phil, according to reports, 6T, S-I-X-T, which is, you know, it's here, but it's one of the biggest rental car companies in Europe, right, is moving off of Teslas because they say they're too expensive to repair and they have poor resale value. What's this all about? We've heard about this with electric vehicles. This should not come as a surprise. And you'll see more reports over the next couple of weeks. I know there's some independent firms that are working on reports looking at EV repair costs. EVs cost more to repair right now than internal combustion engine vehicles. There's no debating that. And as a result, if you're a rental car company, if you're paying more for repairs, if you're paying... Uh, if you're losing more in terms of residual value than you're expecting, which apparently is part of the 60 uh, decision here, then you are going to sit there and say, what makes me the most money? Yes, it's great if you have electric vehicles in your fleet for people to rent. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to some people at Hertz facilities who say, yeah, these are in demand. When we have them, people want them. But on the other hand, you also have to look at what's it going to cost me if there's a repair that needs to be, be made. And we heard the CEO of Hertz talk about this in the last earnings call. Now, they're not giving up on Hertz. They're not getting rid of them, but it is a real issue, not just yeah. for the rental car companies, but for everybody with EVs. Just sensors everywhere, and it's basically a giant computer, so it's more expensive. Phil LeBeau, uh, thank you very much. All right, now, let's talk politics, the economy, and the 2024 election, because there is some new insight into the presidential race and what is really a tale of two different economies, the young versus the old. According to the latest Gallup numbers, just 28% of 18 to 34-year-olds approve of the president's handling of the economy. For ages 35 to 54, it's actually worse. A dismal 26% say the president is doing a good job. And again, really a tale of the haves and the have-nots. Among college graduates who probably have a secure job and maybe own a house or maybe own stocks or whatever, the approval rating is a little bit higher at 47%. But that number crashes to only 22% for high school grads. And even more shocking, nearly one in four Democrats do not like the White House's handling of the economy. Think about it. Stunning number for people who are loyal to their party. And among independent voters, 74%, three out of four, disapprove of the way the president has handled the economy. So it brings up an important question. Why aren't young voters warming up to Bidenomics? Joining us now is Democratic Congressman from Minnesota and 2024 presidential candidate Dean Phillips, who is running as a primary challenger to President Biden. Congressman Phillips, thank you very much for coming on. You are our eighth, by the way, presidential candidate that we have interviewed on Last Call, and I'm proud of that. Your pin on your Twitter says, first and foremost, my campaign's about the economy. We have to make life more affordable for the middle class. How would you do that? It's so true, Brian. What you just shared is a classic example of macro versus micro. Uh, the macro economy is good. I celebrate the administration for pointing that out, but GDP growth doesn't mean a darn thing to people who are struggling. Healthcare is way too expensive, education unaffordable, and housing for those who can even find it, Brian, uh, it's way too expensive. Rents are too high. Uh, we are 7 million housing units short in the United States, and when I'm president, a massive all-hands-on-deck initiative to build housing. 
I love market economies. And if there was a market mm -hmm. to earn a profit and building housing, uh, there would be thousands of developers doing it right now. But we have zoning law problems. We have local red tape issues. There has to be an all hands on deck, national, local, municipal effort to build housing. By so doing, prices will come down. Everybody will have a home. Homelessness is not just an issue in San Francisco and uh, L.A. and Chicago and New York. It is everywhere. I'm in Manchester, New Hampshire right now. I see guys sleeping right across the park where I am right now. It's appalling. Healthcare, we pay double anywhere else in the entire world. Our outcomes are mid-pack. And education, you know, we've we got to start preparing for an AI future, a revolution that's forthcoming. This administration, I do not think, has a plan for it. And that means we've got to ensure that those who wish to go to higher education can do so tuition-free. You know, in 1910 to 1940, uh, we went from 18% mm -hmm. of elementary school students going to high school to 70%. We should do, be doing the same thing in the 21st century for college. It is a big deal. Uh, and otherwise, we have to make life affordable. Affordable America, that's what this is all about. You talk about elder people. Uh, Social Security about to go bankrupt uh, in 2033. Uh, we should be raising the contribution cap, I think, to $250,000. And I think it's time is to that, actually allow the would government that be legal? to... Everyone just they're looking at Social Security taxes like a pot of gold. You know, is that even legal? Because you've effectively, by raising the cap, or as some have said, eliminating the cap, you've effectively created another yeah. income tax, which is not the congressionally mandated reason for Social Security. Well, we already have a we already have a cap that rises with inflation. It's about one hundred and sixty thousand a year right now. I wouldn't say it should be unlimited. I think it should be about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars should be the uh, the cap, the contribution cap that'll extend the program through the twenty forties. But here's my bigger proposition: so many wonderfully successful Americans uh, who do not need their Social Security. I'd like to see the federal government create a pool into which those who are financially secure can contribute their Social Security back and then have it redistributed to the lowest 10% of Social Security recipients in the country. Because right now, the payments are not keeping uh, track with inflation. We have a lot of elderly who can barely afford their lives. And then we have a crisis amongst young people uh, who are very pessimistic about their future. And the fact of the matter is this economy is not working for everybody. When they can't we see afford GDP anything. Growth, I mean, that, that's it. Listen, if, if, you, if, you, can't if you go to, if you go exactly. to Maynard's in Lake Minnetonka or Cafe Lurkat, Minneapolis, <laughs> if you're eating at those places, you're probably doing fine. Yep. If you're, and I'm not picking on those places, they're, they're both fantastic. But if you're working mm -hmm. at those places, you can't find housing that's affordable, right? It's, people are working two and three different jobs. And that's why I think, yep. you know, you see all these articles, right? They're like, oh, why don't people realize the economy's great because some random exactly. economic piece of data, the GDP number came in good. People are like, you know what? Yeah, I'm working three jobs. And this goes back to the election. And I'm, and I'm you know, I wonder, Congressman, listen, I think it's fair to say your, your candidacy uh, is, is a long shot, 2%, I, sure. I get it. But how frustrated are you that for some reason, and I know it's not historically precedent, but this is not historic because we've never had primary challengers, that you are completely blocked sure. out of the election process. That doesn't seem like democracy to me, I don't know. Brian, I, you know, I, I gotta tell you, first and foremost, I'm appalled. And back to, back to your earlier point, all of those of us who are campaigning for president right now, who are actually getting out with real Americans and meeting them where they are, we're hearing the same stories every single day. I would encourage the president of the United States to start spending time outside of Washington without scripted events with the people who are suffering so badly. That's why I'm running. President Biden is going to lose to Donald Trump. I will not stand by. I will not sit down. I will not shush up. 
And those who say this is a long shot, well, you know, it is. And every business endeavor I've ever undertaken is a long shot. We've been successful because we listen to people, we provide what they want, and I'm going to do the same thing running for president. I'm going to surprise in New Hampshire. The fact that the Democratic National Committee, at the behest of the president, has disenfranchised voters here in New Hampshire, uh, the Florida Democratic Party, which is unbelievable I'm even saying these words, decided they would not have a presidential primary. They just said Joe Biden's the winner and handed 250 delegates right to him to go to Chicago. I'm telling you, Brian, what I'm seeing happen in our country right now, both on yeah. the right, which has been deeply troublesome for years, but sadly, I'm calling it like I see it. I'm saying the quiet part out loud. I'm appalled, disgusted by the most egregious uh, horrifying acts against democracy I've really seen in my entire life. It is, and, yeah, and do I don't. And about I, it. Listen, I, I, again, the primary challenger. People say, "Well, it's not traditional to debate an incumbent president." I, I fully understand that. Number one, he, uh, most incumbent presidents don't have primary challengers. This one does. Number two, you've got a lot of polling, like we just showed. And number three, of course, there's obvious questions. But the I don't understand why what they're afraid of. If if the president is going to, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told us this, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, the president will eventually have to debate somebody at some point. Why not get some practice? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, we rarely have an incumbent president who is so weakly positioned to win an election. And by the way, this is not your normal election. This is going to be against Donald Trump, and he's going to lose. I will beat Donald Trump. That's my main point. And by the way, I come from the business world, as you well know. Competition is the natural state of affairs. It is good in business, it is good in sports, it's part of the natural world, and it sure as heck better be part of our political system because if we don't allow competition in the United States, then democracy really will die. So I'm on a new mission, not just to win the next election and ensure that Donald Trump is defeated. I'm also on a mission to expose how our two-party system right now is acting in abhorrent uh, ways that are counter-democracy yeah. and an egregiously offensive uh, fashions that, by the way, future generations are going to be paying a huge price for. We're not a country of coronations. We should be a country of competition. And mark my words, huh. in New Hampshire, uh, we're going to surprise, and I think it's just going to be the beginning. Sometimes I feel like the, the RNC and the DNC are like Verizon and AT&T or Exxon or Chevron, right? They're just kind of billion-dollar corporations in their own right. Rep. Dean Phillips, the, the founder of Talente Gelato, which they probably enjoy in Minneapolis. Congressman, welcome back anytime. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. All right, be well. All right, on deck. Apparently, tough times can make strange bedfellows as now some streaming rivals are suddenly rushing to bundle back up. All right, let's talk TV and maybe call this the great rebundling. Verizon announcing today that it will offer the ad tier versions of Netflix and Max for just $10 per month. That's about $7 less than if you subscribe to both those plans individually. Fine print, you have to be a Verizon My Plan wireless customer to get that price, but still an interesting move because it also follows the news that Paramount and Apple are in early talks to potentially bundle their streaming services. Paramount Plus and Apple TV Plus at a discounted rate. People are cutting the cable TV bundle and now some streamers are starting to rebundle. Kind of amazing. Let's bring in Rich Greenfield. He is a partner and co-founder of Lightshed Partners and an early streaming evangelist who warned in 2015 about the decline of traditional TV. Thanks a lot for that, Rich. You were right. And it's, you know, but we're, hey, we're still here. We're still here and you're on traditional cable TV. What do you make of this almost panic rebundling? I wouldn't call this a panic. I, would I, did. Say, I just wanted to take a dig at it. 
Yeah, no, no. I mean, look, I think they're also a little bit different, right? I think if you were to look at what's happening um, with Max and Netflix, this is very much something Verizon, actually all the telcos. I mean, you probably remember, Brian, the first telco to really get aggressive with bundling in content was actually over at T-Mobile when they did the Netflix on us. And then you saw, you know, back in the AT&T Time Warner merger, you remember when they gave basically every AT&T subscriber was getting what was then called HBO Max, now called Max. Verizon was the launch partner for Disney Plus, then went to the Disney bundle, including Disney Plus, as well as Hulu and ESPN Plus. So you've seen the telcos work with different content partners as a way to drive. You know, Walt Pysik, my partner, who does all the telcos, has been talking about how they've used this to get people to hire packages. I think in many ways, just as you described this, you have to be on a certain Verizon package in order to get this. Like, I think all of this is still trying to drive incremental ARPU, as well as for the content players, obviously, to bring down churn, right? When you're bundling these things together, it brings down churn. But this one specifically... This is really about Netflix having interest in driving their ad tier. I think most Netflix subscribers have not wanted the ad tier, you know, to date. There's, you know, obviously modest adoption. I think this is a way mm -hmm. of trying to expand the audience by using the um, bundling uh, along with HBO or sorry, I should call it Max. I, I always do that. It's still Max. It's still yeah, HBO it's in my HBO, mind. I know. I get it. It's HBO Max or Cinemax. I, I get it. And by, by the way, that's part of the problem, Rich, is that it's it's hard to follow. I mean, there's people that are, you know, not Luddites or whatever. They're like, I can't find what I want to watch because everything's all spread out. How about this, though? I, I, different take. People criticized cable companies for the contracts. And I, and I get that. I understand that. Right. So you're kind of locked into certain things. But this whole monthly payment thing where people can just sign up for one month, watch everything they want of a new hit show, whatever it might be, the bear on Hulu, and then cancel it for the next 11 months. That is not a sustainable model. You cannot employ people with that business model long term. Should all of them just go to basically here's your price for the year? You got to pay a yearly price where that never work. That doesn't work because I think consumers are now used to having the flexibility to pick and choose what apps you want. Consumers would like everything to be want. free also, right? Like yeah, sure. But I mean, ultimately, honestly, I think locking people into a subscription they don't want is a bad business strategy. I think what you really need to do is these services need to create enough content to keep you there all year. It's why Netflix is flourishing and taking market share while their peers are slowing down. Remember, most of the media companies right now, legacy media companies, you're seeing them reduce content spend, cut back pretty dramatically in order to get to profitability. Netflix is doing, you know, six and a half plus billion dollars. Like they're in a very different profit position. You're seeing Amazon. Obviously, they stepped up with Thursday Night Football. Now they're stepping up with NASCAR. Yeah. I, I think you're in very different places for these companies. I think what, what's really happening here is the, the what you're going to see is cutting back on content is not the right answer. And my guess is sometime over the course of the next 12 months, you are going to see these companies actually start to reinvest the ones that are going to survive. Some may not like whether mm -hmm. Peacock, which is losing two and a half billion dollar or two point eight billion dollars a year can survive. I don't know. But I think the reality is you may have a few fewer players yeah. over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. But the players that remain. My guess is content spent is actually going up, not down. There is no way. You need to have something to keep people entertained 
every day. But somebody's got to pay for it, Rich. Somebody has to pay for that. I mean, sure. you can't have everything for free and, and, and get everything you want but not pay. That's called government. <laughs> okay, so let's move but, on. But now, wanna, okay. Everybody wants everything and nobody wants to pay. All right, Spotify. Okay, Spotify had some layoffs today. But yep. you still love the co- – I love the product. I love the service. But you love the stock. You just nailed it, Brian. That is the most important word is that it has been a service everyone has loved for a long time. And I think what investors have been frustrated about and the reason why the stock had that big pullback um, after it went public, I I think was really the fear that it was not a good business. We heard repeatedly from investors, they're never going to make money. They don't generate enough EBITDA. They don't generate free cash flow. Like here is Daniel Ek getting serious. They have cut 25% of the company over the last year. Competition is fading. They're getting stronger, really pulling away from the pack. I think this was a huge sign. You saw the stock surge today. This has had a huge run over the, I mean, the stock was, you know, what, $80 a year ago. Like this thing has had a massive run. This is a stock investors have to own because Daniel Eck, the founder of this company, Mm -hmm. is taking profitability very seriously. And I think you're going to see profits really continue to scale up as you move into 24 and 25. It's taken some time. It's definitely been a slower story than we expected last year in terms of performance. But I think this stock you need to own because they're really getting serious. You've seen it with Meta. Like, look at what's happened to Meta in the last year. When you get serious about cutting costs and your growth is strong, the stock flourishes. And I think that's the setup on Spotify. And another one where prices keep going up. We'll see. See how it goes. Rich Greenfield, great discussion. Next time, I'll get you back on and talk more about Spotify. Modestly. Modestly. modestly There we go. All right, coming up. The top business terms of the year. We've got the just-released list with with a kind of cool number one. All right, we're going to tell you something you already know. It's been a wild year for investors. We've had some huge bank failures, spiking interest rates, the boom of the Magnificent Seven, and the promise of artificial intelligence. So what had market watchers turning to the Internet for answers? What were they looking for? Well, Investopedia just released its top terms of the year, searched for a list of the most searched investing and finance terms on the site. Investopedia editor-in-chief Caleb Silver joining us now. There's 10 of them. We don't have time for that. We're going to go three, two, one. Caleb, number three. Welcome back, by the way. Number three, no shock, except that maybe it's not number one. Artificial intelligence. Yeah, this was also our reader's pick for number one. Artificial intelligence. I would have guessed it, number one. Was everywhere this year. This was the year it really went mainstream, right? Not just as an investing uh, theme, but also kind of pervaded everything. Think about the Hollywood strikes. AI was at the heart of that. Think about the disruption of nearly every industry, including our own. AI is at the heart of it. So people came to Investopedia to learn everything about it, both how to invest in it, and also what it means for their job and the future of work. Fascinating. It is. Number two, because it's it's December, but I got to go all the way back to the early March or whatever, when Silicon Valley Bank and everything, bank failures, your number two most searched for of the year. Yeah, banks are supposed to be boring, Brian. We know that. Yes, we want them to be boring. They were not boring this year. They were not boring at all. There was finally money in the bank, but we did have those big bank failures. So we had readers coming to us constantly looking about how banks fail, what the FDIC does, how safe is their money, should they do the Giannis thing and bank in 10 to 25 different banks, put their money all over the place. (laughs) I wish we had his problems. Yeah, we don't, but people were really curious about that and learned a lot about the banking system this year, not for a great reason, but they were looking it up. The number one one... There's not a lot in the news business that gives you hope. You know what I mean? I heard a comedian, I can't remember who it was, said every news show should just be called What's Wrong, which I thought was funny. So 
Number one really makes me happy. Depends how you look at it. American dream, and we're not talking about the mall in Secaucus. It depends how you look at it. I think it's a deeply metaphysical question, right? People are wondering. But you're a deeply they, metaphysical guy. I kind of get that way, but it, people are wondering, can I actually achieve a better financial life than my parents? Can I own a home? Given the spike in interest rates, in mortgage rates, given the spike in inflation, and given everything, people, I think a lot of younger people questioning whether or not they will ever be able to afford the dream, whether they can live a better life than their parents. Who can blame? We just had Congressman Dean Phillips on, very long shot campaign in in the Democratic primary, but he, he he kind of agreed with the polls, and you can agree with the polls or not. You've got a graphic here. Chelsea says that it's ready. The American dream now costs $3.4 million? Yeah, we tried to put a number on this, given the things that we think are reasonable. Remember, the American dream was actually a term developed by a guy named James Trussell Adams in 1931, Brian, in a book called The Epic of America. He was talking about it as dream of a land in which life should be better and richer for everyone with opportunity for everyone. Now we actually had to put a number on it. Not everybody wants the same dream. Not everybody has the same dream. But when you're talking about raising children, delivering children, the purchase of a car, College, this is in-state tuition, not private college. A wedding, maybe you have to pay for a wedding in your life. The purchase of a home, we're talking yeah. about. And, and I want to be clear, million. like if people are looking at our graphic, which looks like the, the, the board game life, by the way, average used car purchase price, 271000 um, That's all the cars you'll buy over your Six lifetime. cars over your lifetime. That's not like one used Lamborghini. That would be a very expensive would car. Be but these good. are the things, the reasonable purchases a household might want to make. They might want to send a kid or two to college. They might want yeah, pets. Think? Pets, 67 grand over a lifetime. 67, 68 grand, really rounding it for my dogs? That's right. Health insurance. They're worth every dime. Worth a million, worth a million bucks. So just the reasonable things that we have to pay for, they got more expensive and everything yeah. seems out of reach a lot for a lot of younger people. At the same time, for people that have been investing a long time, maybe that dream is possible. The yeah. dream is different for everyone, but trying to put a number on it's hard. We just try to give a reasonable Fair rounding enough. number to what you might need to live a comfortable life. American dream number one, Bank failures, artificial intelligence. There are seven more. Go to investopedia.com. You're welcome for that. Caleb Silver, thank you. On deck, one of our favorite segments of the week, Make It Mondays. And this one involves red hot handbags and Beyonce. What more do you need? It is time for Make It Mondays, and tonight you'll meet Will Glory Tanjong. She founded a luxury handbag brand for fun while getting her MBA at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Talk about an underachiever. The bags have gotten a stamp of approval from one major celebrity. started building it and growing the community and seeing how much people loved the bags, I realized that this could really be something big. My name is Will Glory Tanjong. I am the founder and CEO of Anima Iris. I've always been a very fashionable person. People always ask me, where'd you get this? Where'd you get that? And I'm like, hey, maybe people would just buy it from me. I remember emailing my financial advisor and saying, hey, so <laughs> I'm going to start making bags for fun and I need like $5,000. And that's where I got the money from from my savings we have the regular zuri which just has a leather top handle the price point for this bag is between five to six hundred dollars 
and want us to really remain made in Africa. My artisans make twice what the average artisan in Dakar makes. I now have seven artisans that work for me. I had been building our website. It was like 1 a.m. in the morning and one of the Vogue editors tagged me and I was like, no way, you are lying. Like, I am not on Vogue. The website sold out. And then, of course, the biggest best moment today was my queen, Beyonce, um, wearing her bag, posting the bag on Instagram. That was definitely, it's like still one of the greatest moments, if not the greatest moment of my life. My larger goal is to turn this into a full lifestyle brand, right? I'm always gonna bet on me. I'm really living life to the fullest extent, and it's so possible for you to have that same life experience, but you have to be willing to like reach out and like go find that life for yourself. And Will Glory Tanjong joining us now. Will Glory, great to have you on. How did you, first off, how did you do this while getting your MBA? Because you pen is like really hard. UPenn is a really, really difficult school and Wharton is a really difficult program, but it was for me more about my passion, my commitment to doing something um, and to starting into finishing what I had started. There is just a great mission behind this brand to elevate African culture, African voices to a, just a much higher level. And even as Anima Iris was just growing and succeeding, that's when I knew like I, I have to just really kick into gear, double down, still get this degree done, but continue pushing forth this company. Yeah, you know, and some of our Make It Mondays people, uh, Will Jong, have been like, you know, they have one shop and they're growing. I was looking at your website, Anima Iris, by the way, spectacular stuff. I know I can tell you love the color fuchsia. Um, this is a big business. How many bags are you selling now and how big do you want to be? Yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad you love the color fuchsia. This is actually a new brand color that Pantone created for us. So Pantone, you know, they've created brands, they've created colors for incredible brands, um, such as Tiffany's, et cetera. Um, and so Pantone actually created this custom fuchsia color for us. And now it's our brand color wow. that on our most recent fall winter collection. Um, but yes, this past Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we actually sold about 1,500 bags. So that was really big for us. This is definitely our biggest month yet. Um, but on a monthly basis, our facility, and we're able to do about 500 bags each month. So we're doing thousands of bags a year. Wow, yeah. So it sounds like you're going to try to scale it up um, Will Glory, and I was looking at it. Do you have a bestseller or a personal favorite? Because I, I was checking it out today. I think the pink Thunderbolt Zoe is, <laughs> is what I might snap up. Yes, um, my personal favorite is actually um, this bag right here. Okay. This is our Zaza Grand handbag which features our twisted top handle. Um, it's definitely a bestseller and beloved by many people. Yeah, I'm looking at the bags. They're beautiful. The business is growing. Thank you, you. And, you fin and by the way, you finished it. You got the MBA, right? I did get the MBA. I did. I'm very, very proud of that. I love it. As the Indigo <laughs> Girls saying, I got my paper and I was free. Now you're, make, now you're making bags. You're going to make money. We love having you on Make It Mondays. Uh, Will Glory Tanjong, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, keep us informed. Best of luck. Let us know how things are going. Anima Iris is the name of the bag. For more stories like Will Glory's, go to cnbcmakeit.com. All right.
Speaking of Beyonce, we were going to do a thing called Back in Time about Jay-Z and his music career, but because Will Glory was so good, I ran that segment too long, and in the industry parlance, we had to, quote, kill the Back in Time segment, which was actually very cool, just like this show. Folks, thanks for watching Last Call. That's it for tonight. We are going to see you tomorrow night, of course. CNBC picks up 5 a.m. Worldwide Exchange. Shark Tank is next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.